Lord Jesus, open your word. Give us receptive hearts, longing ears, and hungry souls. And teach us, dear Lord, this day, for Jesus' sake. Amen. It was laid upon my heart to prepare this message largely based on the Luke passages. Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come behind me or follow me, he or she must deny himself, take up his or her cross daily and follow me. It's a sermon about Christian discipleship. And if this were to be the last text upon which I would preach, I would first preach it to myself. If I had the opportunity to preach in every Christian church in Australia of every denomination, I would preach this message with unbridled passion. If there is a word that the Western church needs to hear, with what C.S. Lewis calls a megaphone to raise a deaf world, let's bring on the megaphone. You see, take up your cross and follow me daily is a big ask. But it is the ask that Jesus makes of every discipleship who follows him. Authentic Christian living is living truly the life of the disciple. Well, what is authentic? Why do I use authentic? And I discussed the word with my friends. I looked up the dictionary. It means to prove genuine, establish beyond doubt the origin of, if you like, the real deal, the authentic article, the truly Christian disciple for whom there are no imitations. When I was with my wife in our first parish in Windsor in Sydney, uh, you know, sermon prepared by lunchtime Saturday, well that was always the goal, we went down and looked at the shops and we saw a furniture shop and there was this um, imitation grandfather clock Oh, we said we'd like to buy that and we thought about it for a bit and we went and bought it. Because it was imitation, it was cheap, wasn't it? And I've still got it. And now it doesn't even go. You see, it's not the real article, is it? And in a moment I'm going to ask you to vote. Raise your hands. Is it easy? Or is it hard? to live the authentic Christian life. You've probably never done this in church before. Just let me introduce it a little bit. Always expected, I say the unexpected. When I was moderator and visited the Bible translators in Ukaramba in PNG, that's what the missionary said to me. This is New Guinea, always expect the unexpected. And so Lynn, who had worn slacks, had to very hastily go and buy a wraparound because you don't wear slacks in New Guinea. 
I slept in a waterbed, not easy, never done it before, short legs, you can imagine. And the missionaries picked, it up, picked us up in Lai and drove us to Ukarumba, um, 150Ks, I think, from memory, but it took about three hours and two flat tyres. And uh, your gravel roads around here are like freeways in New Guinea. And uh, Alan Canavan, in fact, told me that the roads up there are so rough, he lost the fillings in his teeth. <laughs> so, friends, always expect the unexpected. Is it, is it easy? Is it hard to live the authentic Christian life? Those who think it's easy, raise your hands. Those who think it's hard, raise your hands. Well done, well done. You know, I preached this sermon at Horsham as a keen, middle-aged young Christian lady there. She's, I want to put up both my hands because it's, it's hard, but it's easy when you've got the Holy Spirit. And uh, I preached the sermon at uh, St George's Geelong and uh, one of their... A leading layman came up to me after the service in tears and he said, I was born in Iran and in Iran it is hard, it is hard to be a Christian. Well, thank you, well done and uh, we're all travellers on the same journey and we can only ever make it with God's help. I mean, that's the good news, isn't it? We don't make it in our own strength. It's about having a living, dynamic relationship with Jesus, not just that he's written about in the Gospels or as some worldly people might say, well, he's got some good teachings. It's because Jesus has been there for us and is with us. You know, it is possible, I suspect Nobody here, but it is possible to have been in the church all your life and yet never to know Jesus in that personal, to, to know him as your Lord and your Saviour. I've got a friend who's um, a Christian uh, pastor, retired like me in Creswick, and uh, he tells me how he was for 23 years a leader in the Anglican church before he came to know Jesus as his own saviour. So discipleship is about building our faith, our lives on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're reminded, of course, in Paul, by Paul in Ephesians, that the church is um, this lovely building, yes, but it's much, much more, isn't it? It's, it's the people. And Paul talks about how the people are being built up together to become God's spiritual dwelling, uh, to become mature, attaining to the measure of the fullness of Christ. And I think it is true of some Christians. You remember your first day at school? Probably not. Remember your engagement party, your 21st birthday party, your 40th birthday, what do you remember? And what I, what I want to say is there are some Christians who are 40 or 50 or 60 years of chronological age 
I saw back there at the engagement party, or the 21st, whenever it was. You see my drift? Um, Christians who haven't grown as disciples in the Lord Jesus. Do you remember Norm on TV, the oldies will? Um, sitting Saturday afternoon with his big stomach watching sport, having a tinny. And uh, they were the beginnings of, of the ads to get people out and active and about. Well, it is with a positive side to it. I know of a lady who's 85. Um, she drives, she's only got a license for town. She drives other people to church. She reads her scriptures every day and she prays every day, uh, including the leaders in her church. So can we, as briefly as possible, look at mainly the Luke passages? I've got ten marks for you of authentic Christian living and then I want to end with an encouraging note. When Jesus called the twelve, he called a rough, uninitiated bunch who'd never been to theological college he would provide them with on-the-job training. Some were rugged Galilean fishermen whose conversation you did not listen to in mixed company. There was a tax gatherer uh, of a group despised by society because they supposedly took a healthy commission before handing over the proceeds. Uh, then, of course, there was Judas. You know Judas well. Have you heard the story that all of the disciples applied for a job at the Jerusalem Herald, uh, and the only one who was successful was Judas because of his administrative and financial skills. Well, that's, that's a joke, um, but it, there's, a, there's a message. Um, quick reading of Luke 5, after the miraculous catch of fish, Jesus called his first disciples. For following Christ was more about service and obedience than about physical satisfaction or big pay envelopes. The call to discipleship is in essence two things, immediate and total, for they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed Jesus. And this is Jesus' own example, a servant and a saviour who would die for them. And in this discipleship there may be few, there may even be no accolades, you remember what Paul said, be wary when people speak highly of you. Well, Luke chapter 9, it commences what is known as the period of Jesus' retirement ministry, although he never had a retirement, did he? Uh, but it was when he moves away from the masses and concentrates on teaching the disciples, the twelve quite possibly the 70 and the wider group of men and women who had followed him to Jerusalem. The cross is near and Jesus would now begin to complete the work that the Father had given him to do. He is in fact investing his life, his ministry and his future on earth in the hands and the lives of those disciples. Do you know, when God calls you and me to do something, perhaps that, that, that little feeling in our minds, yes, I should write to that person or ring them up to see the, how they're going, then that's the ministry 
that Jesus has called you to do. Friends, don't put it off. Do it. And I would love to preach a similar sermon to to the leaders of churches as well. Let me share with you some thoughts then on Luke 9, 51 to 62. It's the second prediction of Christ's death. Uh, The disciples are having a, a barney amongst themselves. Which one of us is the greatest? Within the kingdom of heaven, is it not true that it's not grandiosity or works that counts, but the attitude of a, a childlike, not a childish, but a childlike faith and trust. And then we discover what it means to follow Jesus. Remember Thomas? I've got a lot of sympathy for Thomas. He vowed to follow Jesus even to the cross. And yet you know what happened after the resurrection Yes, the one born in an inn would never have a permanent home. For Jesus, tough today if he had to apply for a police check. And Hendrickson in his commentary has a lovely word on this about Jesus. He says, Judah rejects him, Judea rejects him, Galilee casts him out, Gadara begs him to leave the district, Samaria refuses him lodging on earth, earth will not have him, and even heaven forsakes him. I've added there myself, but for a time. So who are the two aspirants here for discipleship? The first, yes, I want to follow you, Jesus, but first let me go home and bury my father. And and I used to, as a young Christian, think, well, Jesus is a bit tough, isn't he? But then I've thought more about it and I've read more about it. And this was only an excuse. Because you know, uh, no doubt, that for Jews and Muslims, they must be buried within 24 hours. Uh, So it's likely that it was too late for him to go home and bury his father. And for a Jewish young man, it was the most important thing he could do for his father, was to bury him. But... The point most commentators make is that his father was not even dead yet. And so it's an excuse. And I suspect, if you're anything like me, over our lives, we've made excuses to Jesus when he's asked us to follow him. And the second man wanted to go home in similar fashion, say goodbye to his family. Well, if he did that all accounts, he would probably never have come back. Yes, excuses. Moses had his excuses. He couldn't preach, didn't he? Uh, But the Lord called him. And when the Lord calls you and me, let's not be shy or afraid in following him, but to do what he asks us. And when your session, your elders ask you to do something, do it, friends, to the glory of God. Of God. And then we just turn to Luke 9.23. We hear Jesus speaking his threefold call. If anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And as we mentioned to the boys and girls, Luke adds the word daily. You see, there's no holidays, no, day, no days off for the Christian disciple. 
I remember taking the funeral uh, of a wharfie in South Melbourne years ago. And, you know, these big burly wharfies filled the chapel and there was about 30 of them on the footpath outside. One of my funeral things is to, to quote Psalm 121, you know, God doesn't sleep. God, God is always there for us when we pray. And I used to add on, um, God doesn't go on strike, but I thought, no, I won't on this occasion. Yes, friends, there, there, there is a cost to Christian discipleship, to walking and obeying, and we notice that that's in the present continuous tense. We must deny ourselves once and for all, say farewell to self-decisively accept pain, shame and persecution for my sake and in my cause, day in, day out, and must keep on following me as my disciple. It's a big ask, but it's nothing less that Jesus asks. And we can only do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. It's a humble following, as Calvin points out. Christ's kingdom would be ushered in, not with great pomp, not with great riches, not with the joyful applause of the world, but by a shameful death. Take up your cross daily. Yes, Jesus carried his cross until Simon of Cyrene relieved him of the heavy burden. And in that day in particular, you could see the criminals walking the streets carrying their crosses because they were forced to do that as an example for others not to break the law. But you and I know that Jesus never broke the law. He never sinned. and He carried that cross for you and for me. You see, this is authentic Christian Living. I had an elder in my first parish who used to use the term wishy-washy Christians. And I think there's something in it. Let me give you ten points for authentic Christian living. I'll go through them, most of them fairly quickly uh, and then bring you a note of encouragement. Number one, a regular time of meditation and scripture and prayer. I'd love to say daily, but then I'd put my hand up as the first hypocrite. But as often as you can make it, come to the word of God and pray, and desirably, every day. You know, the word of God, I think, is in decline amongst Christian, even Christian churches today. I, we have a local meeting of the Bible Society in Ballarat, just a small group, Faithful, and the last meeting we had one of the Bible Society representatives, Jan Pedersen. And Jan, Jan told a story that staggers, staggered us all. She spoke about a booming church, you know, one of these mega churches in the southern suburbs of Melbourne. And uh, she visited. The pastor there and said, would you like some scripture helps to help in your, your ministry? Oh, no, he said, I'm not really into the Bible. Oh, she said, what do you, what do, you do? And, oh, he said, well, we have our drama groups and our 
uh, our mother's groups and our discussion groups, but no, we're not. There's a booming church reaching out to the unreached, they say. Oh, Lord, strengthen your church. Secondly, we pray more for others than we pray for ourselves. Thirdly, regular worship is a priority. Great to see you all here today. Fourthly, we invite that neighbour. You know, there's always a neighbour that you can't stand and you invite that neighbour for a meal when her husband has died. Fifthly, we have a missionary heart both at home and overseas. Uh, sixth, we cultivate a Christian world view. You know, it's very hard these days to, to siphon out what is worldly and what is good in the media. And uh, it's not all good, is it? Paul said, don't be squeezed into this world's mould. The seven, we recognise the reality of Satan and sin and the need of repentance and forgiveness. Eight, we consciously witness for Jesus in our lives. The world is watching you and me every day, even if we don't say anything. Nine, God helps us as we tithe our time, our talents, our resources for him. And ten, we demonstrate Christian love and care with our family, friends. And there's nothing special about those friends. I'm sure you, you know them all, but they're the ten marks of the authentic Christian that I came up with and challenged myself with them. What's your score? Well, I'm not going to ask you to tell me. Um, but I thought I should score myself and uh, I come up with five or six. Uh, we're all fellow travellers needing the help of the Lord and friends the note of encouragement. You, you know these are the new smoking, anti-smoking ads? They're very good. They sort of say, well, if you fall down, then get up and start it, try again. Keep trying. You'll make it. And uh, I thought of that in relation to the lovely Presbyterian doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. It's in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, look it up. But what it says is that true Christians, though they fall away from time, may fall away from time to time, will never, ever be lost. And uh, I find that as a wonderful challenge, uh, particularly as I think of authentic Christian living. We all, we all fail sometimes, but the Lord gives us grace to keep us going to live the life of discipleship for his glory. Amen.